Does anyone have any uh, comments or questions that they would like to bring forward at this time? Um, I'll try to keep it brief because I don't know how useful it would be to other people. I kind of brought it up with you before. I'm, I'm having an issue with uh, well, an issue. I'm noticing that depending on where in my body I'm focusing on the breath, it changes drastically. Uh, well, drastically to me in that state. And um, it feels kind of forced, but I, there's no conscious uh, volition behind changing the breath. So if I'm feeling it in the body, it's much slower. And I can even, I told you before, I can go into the diaphragm and it slows it down a bit. Mm -hmm. When it's in the nose and, and the, kind of the concentration builds, um, it becomes seemingly much more fast-paced. Um, and if I'm, not, if I'm not careful about it, I also seem to kind of put this rhythm into it, this kind of mm -hmm. jarring stop and start. Um, maintain my focus on it and keep it kind of discreet and clear um, and like I said none of this is intentional with the stopping and the starting if I pay attention to it and try to keep the breath fluid then I, then that goes away but with the pace the only way I can slow it down is to go into the diaphragm but then I'm losing concentration uh, at, the, at the nostrils um, and, and the reason it's becoming more of a concern is that I think it's making me really tight um, and it also feels kind of frenetic because of the pace of the breathing. Um, almost like I'm going to uh, hyperventilate, but I'm, I'm not really, but it feels like it's it's just unnaturally fast-paced. And maybe it's not related to um, the feeling of tightness all over, and that's something else. It's kind of similar to what I was talking about yesterday with that feeling of weird dysmorphic thing going on. Um, but uh, anyway, so I was curious about feedback on that and whether it's something I can work with in other ways or just like you said before mm -hmm. just leave it alone okay well you say that it's not intentional mm. okay uh, and so what I'm hearing is that uh, it's not intentional but you feel as though the pace of your breathing is is perhaps unnatural in some way yeah and it is making you uncomfortable yeah it's just um it's not calm mm -hmm. and I was talking to you before I'm really focusing a lot of energy on well a good amount of energy on mm -hmm. trying to stay calm and yeah. calm uh, concentration yeah. mm -hmm. um, and and so the I don't know if it's if it is the pace of the breath or what it is but my concentration is getting really strong but it's like, I mean, it's so intense that it feels like my whole body is pressed in sometimes when the concentration is really high. Just one of these sits, it just felt like I was in a vice. Um, and it's not horrible, it just doesn't feel very good. It or doesn't feel right. relaxed. It doesn't feel relaxed, yeah. 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 Okay, well, <clears throat> just uh, this may be relevant to everyone else to some degree or another. But... Uh, it's completely uh, normal to find that your breath changes as a result of observing it. And <coughs> excuse me. What is most important is that you are, uh, as much as possible, trying to just be the completely passive observer 
and you don't want to intentionally control and change it. Uh, and, and usually that's enough right there. You know, uh, Very often people become concerned when they see that the breath is, is changed because they're watching it, little things like, because you want to see exactly where the breath begins and ends, it seems like that beginning and ending is a little more forced, which it is, because you're trying to look at it. And, but if you're not deliberately making it that way, then you just keep reminding yourself to just be the observer, and if it, if it happens to be that way, it happens to be that way, as long as you're not you know, consciously, intentionally making it that way. <clears throat> and most of the time, that will cease. That will cease to be the case anyway. You know, the, as uh, as you become more skilled at easily perceiving the details of the breath, then the tendency uh, of some subconscious process to emphasize the beginning of the breath, so the beginning and end of the breath, so you see it more clearly, falls away by itself. What you're talking about, this seems to be having effect on the rhythm of your breath that's making you uncomfortable. And uh, I can I can understand that, um, and I think that's coming that that's still coming from that place of uh, because you're focusing so intently on it. There's some sort of not quite conscious subconscious mechanism that is. Uh, influencing the breath in this way. Because normally, the more concentrated a person becomes, the uh, slower and shallower their breathing becomes. Mm -hmm. And usually, too, the out-breath tends to become longer and slower than the in-breath. And this is sort of the normal pattern that happens. Because um, that's, I think that's what happens <clears throat> when I'm in my body with the breath, mm -hmm. is that it slows and the out-breath is, well, no, I don't know if that's actually true. No, it feels like my, it collapses and the out-breath is quick, so I guess that's not true. Mm -hmm. so. Okay, well. <clears throat> so, now, ideally what I would like to suggest that you do is that you put a lot of attention into being really passive as far as the observation that it's a it's a state of you know well, I wonder when the breath is going to begin oh there it is oh, I wonder how long it's going to last oh it's stopped you know so that um, you see the some unconscious process is altering your breath in response to your conscious intention your volition okay so if you're Volition becomes more of the nature of being curious to see what happens by itself, then hopefully those unconscious processes start to serve that by non-interfering. Like, oh, okay, let's, that, that's what we're doing, is we're waiting to see when it happens by itself. So I would suggest that, that you do, that you do try that. Uh, the Sort of, you, I think you were the used uh, word pressure or at least tension. No, it's, it's actually well, one of the sits particularly. It was, yeah, it was just pressure all over. 
really is that is that physical yeah it was like remember when I was talking about my arm being pressed back yesterday mm -hmm. this is kind of like uh, all over and it just feels like everything's squeezed in and it's not horrible it's mm -hmm. just it's just not com it's not relaxed can you direct your attention towards uh, your body and let go of that and relax I, out of it I think I was able to do that somewhat um, one of the times I guess what I'm really asking is is it a muscle tension kind of pressure that you can let go of? It's not muscle, because it's, it's not on my face. It's it's more of a weird phenomena kind of thing, like that same thing of being stretched or pressed. Okay. And it comes when the concentration is really high. But okay. I do think, actually, I was able to focus um, when I really directed myself towards easing yeah. off it. I think that did work. So. Okay. Well, do check and make sure that it's not muscle. And to the degree that it's muscle tension, let it go. But the other thing that does happen... Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not muscle, though. Okay. The other thing that does happen as your concentration increases is you'll experience some kind of sensations in your body. And it, can, it varies so much from one person mm -hmm. to another. Some people feel, you know, pins and needles and tingling, and others, you know... Uh, uh, temperature sensations or tickles and itches there's, there's all kinds of things so if it is if it's purely on the sensory side not on the motor side then I would expect that that's that's just a part of the concentration of that feeling yeah. so to you know as much as you can just recognize it for that you know and what I would tell somebody say that uh, that, that feels like you know they, they feel like they, they get goosebumps and chills all over. I would say, as much as you can, just ignore it. And it's a result of the concentration, and just continue with the concentration, and it will resolve itself. And so I'd say the same thing about a feeling of pressure, you know, that uh, rather than be... You see, what you get into is that state of resisting, you know. Oh, this sensation is not particularly pleasant, and I don't want it to be there. What can I do to get rid of it? And uh, and, and just the, the general rule is if there's something that you can do simply to eliminate it, like if it's a muscle tension you just relax, then yes, you definitely do that. But if it's a sensation that's being produced as a result of the meditation, as much as possible, just leave it be. Just accept it and, and let it work its way out. Okay, and yes, some of these sensations are definitely uncomfortable. I mean, some of them are extremely unpleasant. Uh, one, one person that's been meditating with me for many years, she feels uh, nausea and dizziness, and you know, it could be really unpleasant. <laughs> so you're lucky if it's just pleasure. I mean, just pressure. Just so. Yeah, but yeah, that's what it sounds like to me, is this is another one of those symptoms, if you want to call it that, uh, or signs, indications of deepening concentration. And it is completely normal. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Well, and then the, the, I do get dizzy, dizziness too when the concentration is high. Mm -hmm. Especially when I get more of the energy stuff, my head yeah. fills up. Yeah. And uh, But that's just something, once again, you just go with that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You just go with now. You know, if you find yourself feeling a little dizzy or something like that, and 
you know, you mentioned you con- there was a concern that you're hyperventilating. If you ever feel like that may be the case, then just take a deep breath, let it out, and just sit there and wait for the next breath to come mm-hmm. by itself. Because if you have been hyperventilating, uh, hyperventilating uh, you know, you might have blown off a little bit too much carbon dioxide and just, you know, waiting for the next breath to come by itself will put you back into balance. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if that immediately takes care of it, you'll know that that's what it was. If it doesn't have much effect, then you can just ignore it after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Peggy? Um, well, I wrote down a bunch of questions, but one was an analogy which I liked, sort of like the, the breath of Gaia and the breathing. But I've been going up the trail behind, uh, you know, um, that goes up to Indian Trail and Cochise Trail. Mm-hmm. And I've done that for two days, so the first day I got to a certain point, and then I had to come back because I had to ring the bell at 10.10. So the second day I thought, well, if I go earlier, I'll get up further and then come back and ring the bell. And I didn't get off earlier, something came up, but um, so I went really fast. <laughs> and I got a little Did further. you go mindfully fast? <laughs> well, I hope so. And I went into some canyon, March something, something, I don't know where it was. Anyway, so I got a little further, and I rushed back to ring the bell. Well, so after that, I had a really good session. I don't know if it was because I had a lot of energy come up from exercising or what, but um, it was really good, you know? Um, um, I felt like I concentrated and I stayed in the present moment and I used my whole idea of crystallizing the present moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it really, you know, it was a wonderful session and I thought, wow, maybe I'm making progress, right? Well, so the next session, I fell asleep. And then I decided to go take a nap, and then I ate lunch, and then I started the afternoon session. And then I was waiting to get back to the same point, just like on my hike, you know. Mm -hmm. I was waiting to get back to the same point so I could go beyond it, and it it never happened. (laughs) I just, you know, came upon one obsessing thought after, Mm -hmm. you know, well actually it was just one obsessing, obsessive sort of thing that um, kept coming back up. And it was just, you know, a mundane, worldly thing having to do with worldly concerns. And um, couldn't get rid of it. But I never got back to the same point so I could go beyond it. And I was thinking, well, is that what happens? I mean, do we get to the same point and then go beyond it? Or do we go up a completely different path? <laughs> I just, well, that doesn't really matter, I guess. But. Um, well, what, what what does happen is that, yeah, you 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 make progress. You get to uh, something that is very satisfying. It's new, and then you find yourself a couple of steps back again. But uh, and and this sort of back and forth is completely normal to happen. Uh, what's most important is that that you don't get you you don't get attached to. Uh, the really good sessions you have, like the first one, and that you don't feel disdainful of of the uh, of the other ones. You see, because that's how you make the progress. It just it it goes like this. There's one way of thinking of this that I think is I think it's actually 
literally true, but it's certainly a very good way to think about it. And that's that when you have a really good meditation, that's the payoff for the work you've done. And when you're having a meditation which doesn't seem, quote, good because there's a lot of thoughts coming up or there's a lot of sleepiness, that's where you're doing the work and you're going to enjoy the payoff some other time. So try to think of it that way. What is most important is that you keep reminding yourself that whatever happens, you're just going to practice according to whatever is happening in the moment. So you've had this wonderful sit and you can't wait, finish walking and come back and see how much further that goes and you come back and you find you're drowsy. So the, 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 the skill, the skill in the meditation is at that point recognizing that you let go of the expectation that you would come back to the meditation hall with and now your practice is the practice of dealing with drowsiness and so you do that as best you can or it's the practice of having a lot of uh, worldly thoughts coming up and you know how to practice when that happens and so you do it you just it's sort of like oh that's what we're doing now <laughs> okay and and you will get the payoff for it Personally, I'll just tell you what I was thinking just when you started to speak and before you had said very much, is, is how wonderful it is to see how much progress you've made. And I think of uh, you know a few months ago when you were having some doubts about whether you could really do this or not. Or at least you were expressing that. Whether, whether you were really having those doubts or not, I don't know. But, but you know, so... You're doing really well, and what you're experiencing is absolutely normal. Everybody has that, and you'll have you'll have some more, you know, as the next few days go by, you'll have some more really great meditations. But you're also you're you're going to have to just go back and forth and work with whatever's happening in the moment. So you're doing well. Thank you. But that's that's the whole that's the whole thing. My whole message is just to remind you. Don't attach, and just there is no such thing as a bad meditation. There's just the, the practice is, is dealing with different kinds of things at different times, and you know how to do it, right? Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, we we'd like to have uh, we'd like to have uh, uh, strawberries and whipped cream all the time, but you know, sometimes <laughs> we have beans. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it's the same thing. I've had that same thing happen. I'm being really concentrated. And then the next second being all scattered. You know, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it can even happen and that quickly. kind of do that, you know. Like within one session, I've, got, I've had it be yeah. really, really, really calm and really peaceful. And then... Yeah. yeah. That can happen really quick. And also it can happen that, you know, you have... You know, day after day of wonderful meditations, and you think, wow, you know, I'm doing so great. <coughs> and then all of a sudden, it's like you're back to square one, <laughs> beginner all over again. But, but I do have a question. Well, Blake has one, too. So oh, it's, yeah. uh, that uh, could you go over the, the stages four through seven, kind of the differences between the different, those, what delineates those, those stages? Yes, I will. Okay. The... 
the defining characteristic of stage four is that you no longer have the problem of forgetting the meditation object. But sometimes it is way out there in the background and you're just barely aware of it. Uh, and so uh, the situation in stage four is that you never lose the meditation object, but what varies from sit to sit and, and throughout a sit is the amount of other distraction that's, that you're experiencing simultaneously, even though it doesn't make you forget the meditation object. And sometimes it's physical distraction, uh, bodily sensations and sounds. Uh, often it's thoughts. Uh, and sometimes it's the thoughts that are triggered by the sensations. But the nature of the distractions doesn't matter. The, the practice in stage four is to try to always bring your bring the meditation object back to the uh, to the center point of your focus that that is what that's your primary object of awareness allow whatever else happens to be there to be there but only in the background you don't allow it to to move into the foreground the other thing that manifests as a part of stage four because your concentration is now greatly improved as you become very susceptible to strong dullness. And uh, so you, you, sometimes you'll find yourself with, uh, uh, with no dullness, but a lot of activity in the mind, and you, all of your effort is just going into to keeping, keeping your attention from straying to something else and having, you know, and you'll have those moments where you'll find yourself, you'll basically holding the meditation object and some other thought side by side, you know, and, and you'll have to focus back in on the meditation object and let, let the other one recede. And then that will alternate with times where uh, there's not that much going on in your mind, you're really fairly focused, but you find you start slipping into drowsiness and you start to have a you know, dreamlike imagery coming up associated with the meditation object and so forth. And so that's the, uh, that's the other kind of work you do in the fourth stage is overcoming that uh, strong dullness and, uh, and keeping those uh, subtle distractions from becoming gross distractions. And there's a certain sort of balancing act. You know, you can, uh, and you have to learn how to manage it. If you try to make your awareness, uh, your focus too sharp for too long, the mind just becomes agitated and, and you have more distractions to deal with. And uh, But on the other hand, if you don't make it sharp enough, you start to sink into dullness. So you're, you're looking for a balance point there. And uh, allowing the distractions to remain in the background is actually necessary to help counteract the dullness. And uh, occasionally allowing just a little bit of dullness, not, I, I, I hate to say allowing dullness and not con convey the right idea. You can be more, sometimes you have to be more relaxed 
just to keep the degree of agitation from becoming too much. The, in the classic description of the fourth stage, what you're dealing with is what's called scattering. And so the attention can scatter either in the direction of distraction or in the direction of dullness. And so the fourth stage is about overcoming both tendencies to scattering. Okay. When you've become skilled in that so that uh, you feel that very rarely do any of these distractions uh, really take the center point in your uh, of your attention uh, and they pretty well always just stay in the background then you've mastered that aspect and likewise with strong dullness when anytime strong dullness uh, starts to arise if you can and immediately recognize it before it becomes a problem and brighten up your awareness then you've mastered the fourth stage and so a person who's meditating in the fifth stage then uh, doesn't have much problem keeping gross, uh, subtle distractions from becoming gross distractions and doesn't have very much problem with uh, dull, uh, subtle dullness becoming strong dullness. You know? So at that point, the attention shifts since you can allow those distractions to be there and it's not that difficult to keep them in the background and to maintain your focus. You shift your attention... Uh, entirely to managing dullness. And there's that tendency that, you know, you sit down to meditate. Um, over the first short period, you noticeably uh, find the acuity of your awareness increasing, but then it starts to go the other way, and it starts to decrease, and it starts to get, you start to, to lose the clarity and the intensity and the vividness of the perfect perception. And that's the subtle dullness. So in the fifth stage, the main thing you're working at is maintaining uh, maintaining a familiar level of, of strong awareness. And whenever that begins to diminish, uh, correcting for it. In other words, whenever subtle dullness is noticed, then you bring, you bring your mind back to a higher level of awareness. Now, in the process of this, you can actually start, uh, you know, you, uh, technically your, your, your most important objective is to not let the level of your awareness sink and to bring it back up. But what will actually be happening is, is the quality of your mindfulness will be gradually increasing at the same time. So if you were to sort of chart your progress on this, you'd find that you start off with a strong tendency to sink into subtle dullness, uh, you know, and you're bringing yourself back and bringing yourself back. But after a while, you start to see that, that those waves even out, and actually you're, you're enjoying a much sharper and clearer mindfulness. When you have the feeling that that subtle dullness is not really a problem anymore, that you notice it quickly. And actually, that's the main skill you develop in the fifth stage, is recognizing subtle dullness. That's, uh, correcting for it is easier than recognizing it. And it takes a little while to recognize it, and the way that you learn to recognize it is just, it's, it's uh, by retrospective comparison with how clearly 
you you know you have been able to observe the meditation object, you know, and and, and so when when it's obvious that that you don't have that same degree of vividness in your perception that you have had, then there's subtle dullness present, and you try to bring it back up to that level. So that's the main thing that you try to do. Uh, in the fifth stage, uh, strong dullness is not too much of a problem, but it will still uh, happen occasionally. That's that's sort of the way it works. If if subtle dullness develops and you don't do something about it, the tendency is for, for strong dullness to to progress into strong dullness. But when you've been practicing at the fifth stage, you've mastered it. When you have the sense of confidence that you that you can maintain a, a high level of mindful awareness without it really diminishing as a result of your concentration. Then, you're, then you've arrived at the sixth stage. In the sixth stage, you bring, your, you bring the, the uh, uh, focus back to the, the distraction side. You still have a lot of subtle distractions. And uh, they stay in the background. Sometimes there's a lot, and sometimes there's a little. But in the six days, your objective is to make your focus very, very steady. What you'll become aware of with regard to those subtle distractions. Even though it's the case that the primary object that you're aware of and what you're most clearly aware of is the sensations of the breath, you will become aware that your attention is wavering. You know, a thought comes up, and even though even though it doesn't supersede the breath, you feel your attention, you know, wavering to this and to that and the other thing. So it's not, and, and then instead of being laser-like and, and steady, it's sort of going here and there and so forth. The other thing that you find is that the scope of your awareness kind of expands and contracts. Sometimes it's very tight and you're not really aware of sounds. You might not really be aware of body sensations, except for maybe, you know, if you have a particularly, uh, some particular sensation in your body that, that, that stands out, but you'll, you'll find that your focus becomes relatively constricted and excludes the other stuff. You know, it's, it's there, but it's, 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 the analogy would be you're shining a beam of light and um, there are things that are just outside the penumbra, and so they're not really illuminated enough to see. And when you can hold your attention very steadily on the object, and when the scope of your awareness doesn't keep expanding to include other things and then contracting back down again, I mean, do you know the feeling I'm talking about? You probably all had it, that you're focused on the sensations of the breath, and there'll be some sound, and you just kind of feel it, even though you're still with the breath, it, the scope of your awareness expands, so now it's taking in this other sound activity. So you are given some awareness. When you say something's in the background, awareness yeah. is moving there to some extent, but it's just moving there very quickly? Is that, that's how it feels to me. Yeah, that's right. It's like it's... Okay. Uh, yeah, it moves very... How you visualize it is not so important. You know, you may visualize it entirely as being movement from, you know, off to the side to very quick movements in and out. 
you may visualize it to yourself as being like the 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 beam of your attention expands so it includes more and contracts or you might visualize it as a combination of both but the idea is that uh, that there is a distinct present of presence in your awareness of uh, other things which is uh, disturbing the steadiness. So what the sixth stage is about is about single-pointed focus, single-pointedness and uh, exclusive focus. So being, you know, dead on and staying there is part of it. And the other part of it is uh, what is, is excluding everything except what you intend to include. So that if you find yourself focusing on the sensations of the breath, but there's also a lot of awareness of, uh, of, of bodily sensations or ambient sounds, or, or there, as there sometimes is, there's a, uh, some kind of narrative going on in your mind. What you try to do is to uh, exclude those other distractions, not by trying to drive them away or suppress them or stop them, but, uh, and, and this is an important point, you don't want to, because it doesn't work to try to stop them, but what you do is by becoming just even more closely focused on the meditation object, then they're more completely ignored. So you want to ignore them. And that's the sixth stage. The sixth stage is uh, is about developing single-pointedness. And when people talk about single-pointedness in, in meditation, that's what you, that's that's the thing that is the primary objective in, uh, in the sixth stage. And when you have single-pointedness, then you're now at the seventh stage. You know, you've, uh, you've reached a major kind of milestone in, in the progress of your meditative practice when you can sit for relatively long periods of time with a great degree of single-pointedness. Um, the experience of it is, is that you have this steady focus and it's not that there's a complete absence of thoughts, but the thoughts are really indistinct and, and you don't have that feeling like they're drawing the mind. And even though you know a thought is there, you're not, you're not picking up on the content. It's not, you know, it's, it's like, the, the description is, it's like a whisper, it, the thought is whispering in the background and you're not even hearing uh, all of the words sort of thing. The same thing with sensations. Say, sensations will come and go. Strong sensations will, you know, somebody coughs, well, boom, it's right there. Uh, it does, that doesn't stop happening. But what happens is it doesn't disturb your attention. There's not, there, there's not any perceptible movement of the mind caused by that or the generation of thoughts and feelings in response to that. It just comes and goes. And what you find is that most sensations, except for the really strong ones, uh, are uh, they're coming going just way off in the periphery. You know, like there's you you sort you sort of know that they're there, but that's all. It's just it kind of stops at just sort of knowing. And the analogy that I think describes it very well, it's like 
your awareness of clouds in the sky or your awareness of uh, cars on the street, you know, when you're doing something that has nothing to do with the traffic, you know, cars are there. You know cars are there, but you're, you're not paying any attention to them. Or one that comes from the text is uh, like boats on a river. I suppose before we had cars and streets, that was the... That was the analogy that best suited common experience, is that if you were near a river, there would be all sorts of craft passing up and down the river, but if that's not your concern, you kind of know it's there, but you're not paying attention. So do you have the idea clouds, cars, boats? It's, it's, not, it's not a total absence of other things, but it's that, uh, that they're much less there. Like the flow of thoughts is, is, is very slow, and they're just, they're just occasional thoughts coming up. Uh, but it, the, the indistinctness of them. And there is an awareness of, of various kinds of sensations and sensory stimuli, but uh, it, uh, it doesn't disturb your focus. And, uh, and other than there, there being an awareness that they exist, that's about the extent of it. That's, that's the single-pointed concentration uh, that uh, we would designate as the seventh stage in the practice. Um, you'll achieve that and you'll enjoy it for uh, periods of a few minutes at a time and then you'll find uh, every now and then you'll have a really long period. You might have a whole sit where it's like that. But uh, gradually over time it becomes more and more the norm that you can you can settle into that kind of single-pointed uh, uh, concentration. And that, that's the seventh stage. Seventh stage is about practicing that till it's effortless. And then once it's effortless, you don't need to do single-pointedness anymore unless you're interested in doing jhana practice. There's a lot of other practices you can do. But as a matter of fact, long before that, in fifth, sixth stage, you can do these other practices as well, the choiceless awareness kind of practice, or just the, the practice of just watching anything that uh, happens to arise and pass away. But that's fourth, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Fourth is overcoming uh, gross distraction and strong dullness. Fifth is overcoming subtle dullness. And sixth is, uh, is overcoming subtle distractions in the sense of, of becoming more strongly single-pointed. The, and, and I'll just say one thing. We, we, we're talking about a range, fourth, fifth, and sixth. When, when you reach the point where, when you reach the fourth stage where you rarely forget the meditation object, that's a fairly clear level of accomplishment. You know, it's, it stands out compared to what's gone before. Working in the fourth, fifth, and sixth stages, there's a lot of this back and forth. But uh, when you start to have those relatively long periods of single-pointedness that uh, are, are what we call the seventh stage, that's another really clear marker that you, 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 you've moved to a whole new level. 
and it, it likewise stands out quite clearly as compared to what's gone before it. has a very, very peaceful quality to it because of the absence of uh, all the background noise. So, thank you for that question. Gave me an opportunity to clarify part of this process. And you had another question, I believe, is that? Yeah, I did have a question, and now kind of like, I was thinking about all the stages, though, and thinking like, I guess I'm just not used to conceptualizing that way, it that way because certain things of it sounded really familiar and other parts of it sounded really strange. Mm-hmm. Some of it was like, oh yeah, I know that, and other parts of it was like, what? So yeah. It was kind of interesting. I almost felt like I was doing a different kind of meditation or something because it just felt different. It just seemed different. It's a way of organizing experience, and it's it's useful, but it's that, that's why I keep stressing that you know it, uh, the description of it is far more linear than the experience of it. Mm. Okay. I did have a question about about um, you were saying before about believing what you were saying, and felt like some part we didn't believe and some part did. And I started like seeing these obstacles to believing it, and they were like these kind of emotional loops or whatever you want to call it, like kind of emotional logic or something that your brain does. And even though I could see that, it's like it's like all those insights you were talking about. I could see that, and I'm like, oh look, that's interesting. But it didn't change it, it was still there. It was still like this powerful thing, you know. <laughs> and I was just curious about that, you know, like And then there was a stage where I started thinking, well maybe it's really not true, you know? And it was sort of like that was sort of loosening up a little bit or something, that mm-hmm. that loop or whatever. And I don't know, I was just curious what your thoughts were about that. Well you need to uh I, I, any sort of Mental pattern that's very strongly established isn't going to to uh, let go right away, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so, so you just need to keep observing. See, this is the idea that if I tell you something, go and find out for yourself, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, um, and and being able to observe it doesn't uh, doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to change right away but if you continue to observe it and part of it is going is you know there's doubt you need to convince yourself that yeah this this really this is really uh, a useful description of what's going on and can mm-hmm. help me to uh, get to a different place with it so someone had left a note for me asking me if I would uh, talk a little bit about my own experience, and as Nancy <laughs> put it, she said, "Your least favorite topic." Yeah, <laughs> I don't really like talking about myself and my own experience. But if I can do it in a way that is helpful, inspiring, and helpful, then I'm willing to do it. So, you know, I, I, I I'm willing to give it a shot somewhat. Um, you know, it's an interaction of life itself and uh, learning to understand the Dharma, the teaching, and practice. When I look at my at my 
history in this, and these are all intertwined. Um, they interact with each other. I'd say that for a person who is uh, seriously on a spiritual path, it, it becomes a part of everything they do in one way or another. And this is the way that it happened with me. I lived my life as a lay person, um, did a lot of the same kinds of things that everybody does. But it's like my real life was always my spiritual path. And everything else I did was a part of it. And so life was constantly teaching me lessons. It presented me things that allowed me to understand the truth of these Dharma teachings and to and to penetrate that truth and to, to take that understanding to a deeper level. And reciprocally, as I understood the teachings at a deeper level, and this strongly influenced what I did with my life and how I lived my life. And then throughout that, as a constant thread of practice, because without developing these particular mental skills through practice, uh, you you really you, it's really difficult to make a lot of progress in terms of understanding. And so so they all have to be present. But this is, I think, what. Uh, What you and, and anyone will experience is that to the degree that you're really motivated, it comes from inside you that there's this desire, uh, and maybe we can even talk about what it is a desire for, but there is this desire that compels us to pursue a spiritual path rather than pursue the, the distractions and the pleasures of, of the world. Uh, it really does become in many ways, the, the, uh, what your whole life is about, and everything else becomes part of it. You know what I mean?